All right, Rockbridge, I hope you are doing well. My name is Matt. So excited, delighted that you're here sharing some time this weekend with us at any of our five locations in the Tennessee Valley and Northwest Georgia. Thanks so much for being here. I want to ask you as we begin uh, to get into God's Word, we're in the book of Ezra. Uh, It's a a smaller book in the Old Testament, so you might have to turn your phone on and search for it or use your uh, table of contents, but you can go ahead and be turning there. But as you're doing that, I want us to pray in in a couple of directions. One, we're one church in five locations, and I, I put out on my blog last week, and you can read the, the, the blog post if you want. There's a church in Cleveland, Tennessee, that has asked us if they could become our sixth campus. So our elders have put us in a time of assessment and prayer and waiting on God. Invite all of you that are Rock Bridgers, uh, that understand our mission and vision to connect people from all walks of life to life in Christ, invite you to pray into that. Secondly, want to invite you to pray for Disciple Now, which is coming up. Uh, get, get kids, get teenagers registered, but lift that event up in prayer that God would move and, and speak to the next generation. And then also your prayer request that you have submitted to us that we are honored to stand in the gap for you and pray for you, whether it's job transitions, uh, deliverance from sin, relationships, unspoken things, uh, healing, grief, uh, salvation, all of these things, that you would just stand in the gap gap for those. I'll represent all of us, but invite you to join in one voice in your heart of hearts as we pray together. God, we just thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you, God, that you move the kingdom forward through the prayers of your people, that you inspire us and draw us to to, to cry out to you in desperation and cry out to you in dependence and cry out to you for grace and mercy. So, God, we do that now in the name of Jesus. First, I ask for wisdom to be upon this church and our leadership as we discern this possibility to uh, add a sixth campus in Cleveland, Tennessee. God, help us to be indifferent to anything but your will and help us to be motivated by nothing but your glory. God, we also pray for disciple now. And we are praying, God, that hundreds of 6th through 12th graders would be touched by heaven, touched by your Holy Spirit, and changed eternally. God, we stand in the gap for our fellow Rock Bridgers and brothers and sisters who have entrusted their prayer requests with us, the pain that they're in, the crisis that they're in, the uncertainty, whatever it is, God. We know you have grace and mercy for our time of need. We know that we wake up every morning, great is your faithfulness, and there's new mercies for us when we awake. So, Lord, we are praying that your grace, your mercy, your strength, your provision would flow in the name of Jesus and touch these people where they are. God, right now, I ask you to touch us all as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, so we're in part two of Ezra, and last week we started journeying with a group of formerly, formerly exiled Jews, uh, 49,360 of them, decided to leave Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and come back to the Promised Land, and we encouraged us to take steps of faith. We encouraged ourselves to leave some things behind. Many of you, hundreds of you, came to these crosses that are near you or in your venue and said, hey, God, I'm leaving this behind in order to move forward with you. So today we go into chapter three of this, and to kind of help you understand what we're going to encourage and admonish and and where we think the Spirit of God is going to speak to us uh, today and and throughout this weekend, I'll draw an illustration from uh, my time at the Naval Academy. So every uh, body that graduates from the Naval Academy has to jump off of this. 
into this, and it's a diving pool. So you have to climb this step and jump off of this. And it's, it, it, I found it very exhilarating and fun. Uh, not everybody does, though. But it, it's a journey, and, and it's, you know, it's kind of like hyped up and exciting. And, you know, they say, hey, if you ever had to jump off or abandon a ship, this is kind of what we're getting you ready for and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and so it's sort of like our journey with God, you know, there's a climb, there's uncertainty. You got to surrender yourself to the power of God or the power of gravity and, and trust that the people that are commanding you to do this aren't going to kill you <laughs> or aren't going to hurt you. And, and, and walking with God is a little bit the same that it's unknown. Uh, it's not your power, it's His power, it's His command, it's His call, it's His invitation. And so what happens to a few people at the Naval Academy every year, and I watch this, is they'll climb up, and we're all good, and they'll watch hundreds of their classmates jump off and down into this pool. But for a few of them, they will come up to the edge of that, and it is literally like they hit a brick wall. It's literally like there is a thing of glass, an electric fence, and they freeze and stop and will not jump. And will not take that step. They stall on the journey. They stop. And they never. And if they don't do it. They don't graduate. And, and, and you, they ask you to do this. Either in your first year. Or your sophomore. Your freshman or sophomore year. There were people. Literally days before my senior year graduation. That still hadn't jumped. Because they stopped and stalled right here. So today, what I'm going to encourage all of us through the Word of God is don't stop. Don't stall. Don't settle for less than the full promises of God, for the abundance of walking with God, for the adventure of following God into the unknown, even in places where you have to trust, and it's just trust. That's all it is, because you're not in control. Gravity or God is in control. But there will be a time in your journey, and some of you may be there right now, where you're going to hit the brick wall or be tempted to turn back and just go back to what was normal or what was previous or what you were used to. And, and, and so our desire is that really we just keep walking, that we keep stepping. And, and, and when God asks you to jump, you jump and know that he's a good father. And he'll be there, and he'll catch you, and he'll provide for you. It's like that thing you might have played with your parent, your dad in the swimming pool when you are a little kid, and you'd jump into his arms. And you couldn't swim to save your life. But if daddy's arms were there, you jumped. And I hope that through our time together today, you would continue to walk and step and jump because you have a good God who wishes all you the best and has his best for you. But you have to trust, and you have to keep walking. And that's such an important metaphor for our journey with God, is this word walk. And the word walk implies movement. The word walk imp implies growth and progress. And, and I'm not the same yesterday as I am today. I'm, not, I, I'm further along in my journey, and we're all walks of life, and, I, and we're all different in our spiritual journeys and, in terms of time and experiences and things of like that. And that's perfect, and that's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't compare your walk to my walk or your walk to the person sitting next to you, but God calls us all to walk and to step and to keep stepping. And I find it disheartening sometimes when we think of our Christianity as a moment. 
Like when you when say someone says, hey, tell me about your Christian journey, and all they tell you about is what they did when they were in eighth grade. Or all they tell you about is, hey, that time with grandma, and I prayed this prayer. And it's all past tense. And well, what's God doing with you now? Are you walking now? And it's like crickets and silence. And, and so sometimes we think of our Christian faith as previous, as, what we, as some decision or, or some moment that we had in the past. And, and listen, I don't want any of us to think of Christianity as a moment in your past. I want you to think of it as a movement in your present into your preferred and best future. And so we as a church, if you've been reading my blog or listening to some of the comments I'm making to Rock Bridgers in spe specifically, is I, I don't want you to understand the season we're in as a moment that's just going to fizzle and go away and we'll talk about it with nostalgia a few months or a few years from now. We want to walk. We want to move with God. We don't want to come up to the edge, and when our good, good father says jump, we don't want to freeze and stop and turn back and settle for anything less. Because God calls us to do this word wherever he leads, we want to go. Micah 6.8 says it this way, he's told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. So let's walk with our friends, our, 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 our Jews who have now come back from Babylon, made that six to 900 mile journey, come back to the promised land, come back to the capital city that's in ruins, and they're going to rebuild the temple, and let's see what they do to keep walking, to keep moving forward, to not freeze and stall out and stop when God's saying to jump. We start in Ezra 2, 68 and 70, then we'll go to chapter 3. After they arrived at the Lord's house in Jerusalem, some of the family heads gave free will offerings for the house of God in order to have it rebuilt on its original site. So they take up an offering to fund the building effort. The priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple servants, and some of the people settled in their towns, and the rest of Israel settled in their towns. So they go kind of get themselves quickly in, in their hometowns or where they came from or where their tribe originated from. But when the seventh month arrived, and this is where we start moving, and the Israelites were in their towns, the people to gather together as one in Jerusalem. So everybody comes back to Jerusalem because they're not there to build their house. They're build, there to build God's house. They're not there to get comfortable and safe. They're there to be committed to a cause. And so they know why they're there. And so the two leaders are Yeshua or Joshua, son of Jezozak, Jezozak and, brothers, and his brothers and the priests, along with Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, and his brothers, began to build the altar of Israel's God. These two people are going to come up again, Yeshua and Zerubbabel. He's the governor. He's the high priest. Began to build the altar of Israel's God in order to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Understand this. Just understand. They left their homes. Their homes really aren't established. It's basically drop your bags and everybody come back to Jerusalem because the reason we're here is not to establish our name and our house and our address. The reason we're here is to establish or reestablish God's name, God's house, and worship God. So keep moving. So what do we begin to learn that we can apply to our lives as some of the keys to keep moving forward so we don't freeze? The first thing is this. You just got to get started. You just got to get started. It's amazing how we sometimes talk ourselves out of anything and everything. See, here's what you need to understand. God loves to give new beginnings. God loves to give new beginnings. 
He is all about restore, rejuvenate, refresh. He's all about uh, rebuilding. He is all about new beginnings. And if God gives you a new beginning, you know what you and I have to do? Begin. Get started and start moving. Listen, and you don't start when you feel like it. You start even if you don't feel like it. You get started. And so here's the beautiful thing about us being a church from, <clears throat> a beautiful thing about us being a church from all walks of life. Some of you started because you just showed up here at a worship service and, and you die. I don't even know where to find Ezra in the Bible. That's okay. And, and someone just invited you and you haven't been in church forever or in a long time. That's okay. You're, you just get started and just come back next week. That's all. And just, you know, pay attention. Come back next week. That's it. So some of you, some of you, you know, you laid some things down at the cross last week and said, hey, I am not going back to that. And, you're, and, and so you got to get started, though, in doing what God has moved you to do by faith in his faithfulness. You have to get started. You cannot say three months from now, I, I still haven't read, started reading my Bible on my own. You cannot say that. You cannot say six months from now, hey, I, I, still, God, I still hadn't gotten out of debt and I still can't be generous to the Lord. You can't do that. You cannot say eight months from now, man, I still have not put that accountability software on my computer and I'm still looking at porn. You can't do it. You cannot say, hey, yeah, I know I need to become a member of Rockbridge, but I, I, get started. Get started in what God has moved you to do. But there's a warning. Don't stop where you started. Don't stop where you started. Now, that's where we're going to, we, if you zip over to the minor prophets of Haggai and Zechariah, we're not going to talk about it today, but eventually the Jews are going to stop where they started. All right? So, so your Christian faith, your journey with God should not look the same a month from now as it does today because it's a walk. It's a journey. It's a movement. So don't stop where you started. Now, the second thing that we, that we learned just from the passage that we read, just the few verses that we read, is this. They got started, it said they began to build, and they began to do what they were called and created and commissioned to do. So they started with the end in mind. Do you know what the end in mind is? It's worship. The priority was worship. The priority was not maintenance. The priority <coughs> was to reestablish the worship of God. The priority was we are worshipers, and that's what we're here to do. You have to ask yourself this question. Why am I here? What are we doing? At the, to start with the bottom line up front. You know, what is our core business, if you're in the, in the business world? Uh, what is our end zone? What is our home plate? Why did God put me here? What is God's ultimate view, ultimate vision? What is God after? What am I made to do? And the deeper you go and the more you wrestle with it, it's going to come to this word. You, God created you to worship him. That's it. And, and so when God calls us to get moving, when God calls us to move forward, he is going to be calling us into more and more faithful expressions of this. Now, let me stop because some of us think worship is what we do before the sermon. Some of us think worship is, the, uh, is a couple of songs. Here's the definition of worship, and when I give you this definition, I promise you atheists are worshipers, Buddhists are worshipers, Muslims are worshipers, business people are worshipers. We're called to worship the one true God, but here's the definition of worship. When the attention of the heart and mind are fixated 
in such a way that overflows into desire, word, and action. That's it. That's it. You ever had a vacation plan like to Disney or to the beach? You worshiped because your attention was given to, hey, I can't wait to get to Disney. I can't wait to get to the beach. And your mind thinks about it. Your heart's there. Your affection's there. It's fixated. It overflows into desire. You talk about it and you, you save the money. You use the credit card. You get in the car and you go. That's worship. Go to any sports arena and watch fans go crazy. That's worship. Everybody's a worshiper. That's our core business. But when God calls you to take a step forward with him, when God calls you to move with him, it's that he gets our attention or captures our attention or we give God our attention and our minds and hearts are so fixated on him that it overflows into desire, word, and action. That's the core definition of worship. That's what God is after and it moves us forward. So, so you see this. You see this, that all of us, if we have any kind of strong desire that leads to strong action, it's out of, of what we're enjoying, is worship is what's driving that. And worship is what's moving that. So he, here's the beautiful thing about God. God is his own reward. God is not the means to an end. God is the end. God is the goal. Worship of God is what we're after. But anything you enjoy is like that. Anything you enjoy has that capacity that once you taste it, once you get it, once you're captivated, fixated by it and move towards it, then you just keep wanting it. I mean, nobody goes and has the best steak of their life like at a great steakhouse and says, well, I'll never want that again. Nobody does that. Nobody goes to a great Broadway musical and says, ah, that was amazing, but I never want to see anything like that again in my rest of my life. Nobody goes to see like the Grand Canyon or the Swiss Alps or a beautiful river and says, oh man, that is so beautiful. I never want to see creation again. So God is his own motivation and his own reward. So the people in the Bible, when they started seeking God, they weren't saying, hey, I want to seek God so I can have a better life. They were saying, hey, I want to seek God because he is going to be or is my life. All right, th think of it in these terms, like for, for some of you who like, who, like the sport, uh, who, who like the sport of football. So think about Tom Brady, right? Probably going to be one of the greatest quarterbacks or is the greatest quarterback who's ever played. He's no, I mean, he's playing, he wants to play till he's 45 years old, okay? And, and you listen to him talk and you say, why do you do it? It's, it's, it's because of worship. He just loves the game of football. He has the taste. It's in his blood. And so everything for him is I enjoy it, so I want more of it. I enjoy it, so I want to do more of it. It's desire, word, and action. And it just keeps flowing. But here's the challenge that you have if God is not the ultimate object of your worship. Eventually, what Tom Brady worships, he will come up to the edge like the people at the Naval Academy of the High Dive and will be stopped by his age and he won't be able to play football ever again if you worship money that'll happen if you worship pleasure physical pleasure sex that'll happen if you worship your job there will come a day when you can't do your job or someone can do it better if you worship the person you're dating and guess what you're susceptible to stuck stop st quit moving but when we understand that God is worthy of our worship, when we understand that this all-surpassing God 
is big enough to motivate us, inspire us, and reward us with more of himself. Nothing stops us. We'll never stop at the edge. We'll keep going because the key to getting more of God is to just keep walking with God. Isn't that amazing? You're a worshiper whether you think you are or not. It's just who or what are you worshiping? And is who or what are you worshiping big enough to overcome your pain, your problems, your age, a bad economy, or a breakup, or a death, or a divorce? That's the question you got to ask. If who or what you're worshiping is not big enough, you'll hit the brick wall, and you'll stop. You'll get stuck, and you'll settle. God created us to be worshipers. The story continues back to Ezra. <coughs> says, they set up the altar on its foundation, offered burnt offerings for the morning and evening on it to the Lord, even though they feared the surrounding peoples. Ding, 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 ding. That's next week. We'll talk about these peoples next week. But there's an even though. You know, in any, ta- any step, you've got an even though. Hey, I want to go this way even though I'm scared. Hey, I want to go this way even though my friends aren't going. Hey, I want to go this way even though it's going to cost me some time and money and effort. Hey, I want to go this way. And when God calls you, there's always going to be an even though. Even though it's not convenient, even though I don't feel like it yet, even though I'm scared to death, even though I've never jumped from something this high before and I'm not sure what's going to happen when I get to the water, but they kept building, even though they feared the surrounding peoples. Not only did they keep building, they started worshiping because that's what they're there to do. They celebrated the festival of booths as prescribed in the Word of God and offered burnt offerings each day based on the number specified by the ordinance for each festival. After that, they offered the regular burnt offering, the offerings for the beginning of each month and for all the Lord's appointed holy occasions as well as the free will offerings brought to the Lord. They keep obeying. And on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer, they began, there's our word, they started, they kept going. They began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. They were worshipers, even though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. They didn't wait for it to be perfect. How many of you don't get started? Because you're waiting on perfect. If you're waiting until you're 100% sure, you're waiting too long. So what do we get out of this? Keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. Even though there's people around you that you're afraid of. Even though that it's not convenient. Even though it's hard. Even though we're not yet, we don't, we don't have yet have everything we want to have in place. Even though we're going to keep going. We're going to keep moving forward. <clears throat> and here's what we need to understand. Whatever an even though is in your life, it doesn't need to be factored into your walk. See, some factors do not be, need to be factored in to your decision. And here's why. God is the purpose that's greater than your pressure. The pressure you're feeling, the even though that's around you, God is greater than that. If he's your purpose, if he's your end, if he's your goal, if he's your home plate, if he's your touchdown, boom, he's bigger than that pressure. So let's go back to the Naval Academy, right? Go back with me, 1993-94. So they walk up, even though they're afraid, what if they'd have kept stepping? They'd have gotten the promise. They'd have realized the thrill, the joy, the excitement, right? Even though. So sometimes you have to take that even though and say, that's not going to slow me down. That's not going to hold me back. I'm going to keep moving. Even though I'm afraid. Even though it's not convenient. Even though some people said I'm crazy. Even though, I'll still keep going. So here's what we get invited to do. We have to deal with the excuse. Listen to me, people of God. 
Listen to me, those of you who are not yet a child of God. There will always be an excuse not to move with God. There will always be an even though. There will always be something that wants to eliminate you from the journey, that wants to keep you from the walk. Deal with that excuse. And here's what I would encourage you to do. You can write it down in your bulletin. You can take out one of those white index cards. Write, name your excuse. Name it. Busyness. Fear. Fear of what people are going to think about me. Just name what could be your excuse. You know, in naming something, like when Adam named the animals, it was God giving Adam authority over them. Sometimes what we do is we give our excuse authority over our journey. And then we stop. Just like fear of heights caused those, those folks at the academy to stop. Don't let your excuse cause you to stop. Name it. Name it. Now, but you have to be careful. Because your excuse could be camouflage for our greatest enemy. And our greatest enemy is unbelief. Our greatest enemy is unbelief. People that say to me, hey, I'm too busy to get involved in church, to read my Bible. Maybe you are, and, and thus you need to adjust your calendar but maybe deeper than your busyness is you just don't believe reading your Bible is going to do much. And you just have some doubts there. That's unbelief. So name it. Maybe, maybe your excuse is, hey, Matt, I'm just afraid. But underneath your fear is you just don't believe God is good enough or strong enough or can be trusted enough. So you have to be careful that we make excuses that sound okay and sound rational and sort of normalize the stop and sort of normalize the lack of progress and sort of make us feel okay for not jumping, okay for not taking another step, okay for not journeying with God. But let's just cut, let's just cut through the chase a little bit here and let's be real. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe I just don't believe in God. Or I believe in God, I just don't believe God has me, will guide me, has, will, will help me. But, but you know the definition of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. <coughs> Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. You have to believe he exists. You have to believe he's a good father. You have to believe he's calling you to the land of promise. And, and you have to keep taking those steps. Now, here's the greater danger. So we go excuse to unbelief, and unbelief manifests oftentimes in this one word that I get from Revelation. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. See, lukewarmness is the penultimate, penultimate symbol of unbelief. Lukewarmness is, eh, maybe I'll jump, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll go, maybe I'm not. Eh, I'm okay. And Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So see, in moving with God, this symptom is the sign of this condition. I just don't believe God's satisfying enough, strong enough, Capable enough. Me. 
Let me give you four, let me give you four signs of lukewarmness. The lukewarm Christian really only wants to be saved from the penalty of sin, but not from sin itself. These are the people who like, I really like sinning. I really like doing my own thing, but I don't want to go to hell. Dallas Woodard calls that a vampire Christian. All you want is Jesus' blood. You don't want his life. His blood covers your sin, paid the penalty, but by golly, you don't want to follow him anywhere. Now listen, 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 listen. The reason God wants to save you not just from the penalty of sin, but the power and the presence of sin is so you can be in his presence and worship him. Go back to begin with the end in mind. So God's whole goal in this whole operation is not to keep you out of hell. It's to make you a worshiper of him. And sin gets in the way. Lukewarm people only give God leftovers instead of their first and best. They give God what's left, not first and best. And it's unbelief that God's not worthy enough. Or I need to be, or I need to be exalted more so I'll hold back what makes me feel better about myself. The lukewarm people, they, li- they live with no need for faith. They've set up their whole life. There's no desperation for God because I really don't need God. Go read Revelation 3, 13, 14 through 20. They just don't need God. I mean, they believe in God, but they don't really need God. The people that left Babylon, they didn't need to leave Babylon. They had, they had their jobs. They had good life. They didn't oppress them because they were captives. But they realized they needed God, and they wanted God. So they stepped out in faith to get God. Lukewarm people are moved by stories of bold faith, but it's not their story. They hear a testimony like, wow. The Naval Academy, people would watch, jumping off the high dive, wow. But no. Moved by stories of faith, but it wasn't their story. And then what does Jesus say to do? He says, as many as I love, so I, 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 st- I ain't given up on you. I love you. If you've stopped, if you go on lukewarm, if you're plagued with unbelief, I love you, but I rebuke and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Get fired up and come back to God. That's crazy that he would tell a lukewarm person to get back fired up and come back to me. Well, I'm not feeling it, Jesus. How do I get fired up? Do you know how you get fired up for God? You get fired up for God by seeing him more clearly and then obeying him more faithfully. That's how you get fired up for God. So if you lack the motivation to read your Bible, if you lack the motivation to come to church, if you lack the motivation to give up porn, if you lack the motivation to work on your marriage, if you lack the motivation to write you know, and give God back what he, what he owns, the percentage he owns of your paycheck, right, and has asked for you to give back to him, if you lack all that motivation, I can stand up here and give you five steps to do all those things, but we won't get anywhere unless you want to see God and obey him more completely. So you have to see God. And our problems start with not having a correct view of God. See, every problem you face, every path you take, for better or for worse, is going to be affected by the size of your God. If you really believe God is who He says He is, God is faithful, God is good, you jump every time, don't you? You step every time, don't you? You give every time, you go every time, you just keep walking because it's God asking you to. It's not God plus, it's not God and, it's God. I get God every time. 
And so some of us, the greatest thing that could happen to you right now is to get a vision of God that would keep you moving forward toward Him. Let's pray this prayer. We'll read it. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul's got anything he could pray for, and he says, I want them to know you more, God. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He wants them to get God. And look at these adjectives, immeasurable and mighty, <coughs> wealth and glorious. He wants them to see God. <coughs> How do you see God? I'll give you four thoughts. You see, God in, you see God in creation and it makes, wow, order and beauty and design, amazement, right? You see God in the life of Jesus. I'll give you an example. Think about Jesus when they brought to him this adulterous woman. They find her in the act of adultery, so she's naked. They bring her to Jesus. And I'm sitting there like, how did Jesus, I mean, you know, I mean, we all battles with lust, battles with judgment, battles with condemnation, and he treats her like a human being, not a commodity, but a human being. And I look at how, sometimes how I look at people, and I'm like, oh my Jesus, you're amazing. Think about John 13, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And I think, man, my wife will ask me to take towels upstairs and put them in the towel closet. And I'm like, doesn't she know what kind of day I've had? <laughs> Jesus, it's amazing that he would wash feet. You see God in, the perfection, in his perfections revealed in the word. The one, that's kill, the one that's rocking me right now is 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the king eternal immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow. Go read Isaiah 6, 1 Timothy 1, 17. You see his perfections in the word of God. Like, wow. I don't want to displease him. I want to know him. I want to worship him. And, and you see God in the death of Jesus. That this king, eternal, immortal, invisible, in high and majesty, went low to die in my place, in your place. And when that God comes in view, yeah, you can trust him at the high dive. Yeah, you can trust him to take the next step. Yeah, you can trust his word in the Bible. Yeah, you can trust him with your money. Yeah, you can trust him with your marriage, your career, your decision, your cancer. Because he's God. He's God. Story continues, though. In the second month of the second year after they arrived at God's house in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel and Yeshua, or Joshua, and the rest of their brothers, including the priests, the Levites, and all who had returned to Jerusalem from the captivity, began, you got to get started, they began to build. I want you to notice something. This was not just a few super spiritual people doing the work. This was everybody coming together. Everybody, all who had returned to Jerusalem, so, you know, you know what we're supposed to do in the church, right? We build the church. We add to the church. 
You, some of you, you know, listen, this may be a step for you. We have Serve Connect right after these services on this weekend. Maybe, maybe you're like, hey, I want to help advance the church, just like all of these people. See, the church isn't built by, the church isn't built by just two people, Zerubbabel and Yeshua. Everything's built with, with everybody chiming in and helping. So you have an opportunity that to get involved and to do Serve Connect. But the larger principle here of keep moving forward is this, and this is plaguing the church in America. I think it's the death of the church in America right here. We have to reject what I call the professionalization of Christianity and redefine normal Christianity according to God's Word. And let me, what I, let me explain this, okay? Most of us will never play in the NFL or NBA because that's a professional sport. Now, we'll play it in our backyard and kind of, eh, it's fun. But we know that's not who, who we're going to be. A lot of people think Christianity has two classes of people, the all-stars, the professionals. That's Matt. That's the worship guy. That's my campus pastor. I, I'm just a regular Joe. And so what you do is you settle for a second-hand experience when God wants to have a first-hand relationship. And you just think, like, that's out of reach for me, like the NFL's out of reach for Matt. Or, or I'll never get there. But listen, what's normal in the Bible is all of us pursuing Him. All of us enjoying God. All of us seeking God. All of us as worshipers. It's not two classes. Because the moment you say there's two classes of Christians, you stop. Oh, there's some people who jump off the high dive, and the rest of us, we're just over here and watch. We're fans but we're not followers or worshipers. So please reject that and understand normal. Understand normal Christianity is you are invited. You are included. You can experience God. You can walk with God. You can experience a good, good father who caused you to jump. Now, the, the other challenge of this professionalization is sometimes we step back and rest on our laurels. And sometimes we're like, well, we'll trust those who went ahead of us. And it's kind of what I would call first generation versus second generation faith. The first generation are the people who got it going and established, and then the second generation takes over and they just stop. So this is a movement that's multi-generational. So, so ask yourself as I show you these things, what kind of, are you first generation or second generation? Because remember, only about 5% left Babylon and walked by faith through the promised land. The rest stayed back. Ask yourself, would you have been a part of that 5%? See, here, here's first generation says, whatever it takes, God. Second generation says, I'm only going to do what I'm asked to do. First generation says, I take personal responsibility to build and to advance the kingdom. Second generation says, oh, somebody else will do it. You ever heard us ask for help from stage and you've just said, oh, somebody else will do it? First generation says, sacrifice, no big deal, because God's worth it. Second generation says, comfort and convenience. First generation see, has problems, looks for solutions. Second generation sees problems and complains. First generation thinks of possibilities and dreams. Second generation sees barriers and names excuses. First generation fears holding back. Second generation fears commitment. When you jump, you're committed. First generation says it's a privilege and honor to be a part of what God's doing. Second generation says I'm entitled and owed. 
Which faith column do you rep represent more of right now? If you're over here, chances are you're about to stop, have stopped, or you've stalled. You can move over here when you see an amazing God who put himself on the cross and invites you to follow him. So when the builders had laid the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests dressed in their robes and holding trumpets, the Levites descended from Asaph, holding cymbals, took their positions to praise the Lord. They're worshipers, right? As King David of Israel had instructed, they sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Here's what they said, for he is good and his faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and family heads who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this temple, but many others shouted joyfully. In other words, they saw, and they're like, we're not there yet. We haven't fully restored what was lost yet. And then the new generation saw it, and they're excited. So you have this mourning, and this law, and if we didn't, we're not there yet, and this excitement that we've started. And it says, the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shouting from that of weeping because the people were shouting so loudly. So are you crying or are you celebrating? And it, the answer is both. In your journey with God, you have to learn to embrace both celebration and yearning for what is not yet. A lot of times we just stop and celebrate and we forget there's more of God. There's more faithfulness from us. There's more obedience. There's more of God's beauty and majesty that I've yet to encounter and yet to discover. And you're yearning. We're not there yet. The kingdom's not here yet. You can just look around the world and see racism and extreme poverty. You can look around the world and see people who don't care about Jesus and know we're not there yet. You can look in your life and say, I know I'm not there yet, but God is faithful and he started a good work in me and I celebrate the good work he's done, but I'm not there yet. So I keep going and I keep stepping and I keep walking. And when my good, good father says to jump, I just say yes, because he's worth it every time. Let's pray together. God, I continue to pray that you have started a good work in every single person that hears my voice right now, but that's between them and you. And so right now, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, would they do business with you? Have they stopped? Have they started? Do they need to keep going, even though there's an excuse? Has lukewarmness crept in? complacency? Are they looking and saying, oh, somebody else will do it? That's the pastor's job. It's not my responsibility. God, let us yearn for more of you, but let us celebrate and praise you because you started something, and you're a finisher. You're a builder. You're a restorer. So, holy God, Build our lives in your word and for your glory. God, you're a good, good father. And then in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.